You may be seated. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hallelujah. What a uh, joy it is to be able to be together. And I do just want to say right here at the beginning, uh, I'm so glad we can be together again, like we said. Uh, I'm so glad for all those. I'm thankful for all those who have come very early this morning, the musicians, sound people, tech, greeters, ushers, those serving in the children's ministry upstairs, and they'll serve again next uh, next service at 11 o'clock as well. And so thank you so much. Let's give them a round of applause just for, for how they're serving. And like we said last week, as we're going to, or a couple weeks ago, as we're going to two services here, kind of going forward, this is a means to an end that, Lord willing, we'll be able to be all together, gathered all together at Glenbard East. Again, um, it's at the, in the near future, at this point, the, the high school isn't open to us quite yet, and so we'll do these two services until we, so we can fit as many people in live services that want to come. And so, so glad to be able to be together here. Um, And if you were with us on Good Friday, we said that we're going to use Acts chapter 17, verse 3 to give structure both to Friday night and to this morning. And so let me read this uh, before we pray here. They were reasoning with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so we structured Friday night, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, for him to go to the cross. This morning I want us to look at, it was necessary for the Christ to rise from the dead. So two reasons we're going to look at, two broad big points, two reasons the resurrection of Christ is necessary according to scripture, according theologically we might say, or and two reasons The resurrection is necessary for you today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that at some point in our lives, we've had this privilege of being able to first hear of the risen Christ. Maybe that's for some who are here today, the very first they are hearing, and we pray that there would be understanding, that they would see that it is necessary not only for the Christ to suffer, but also for him to rise from the dead. And so, Father, we pray that this would bring great joy to us, that there would be great hope in our hearts as a result of the resurrection, regardless of what we face day to day. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So two reasons, the resurrection of Christ is necessary according to the scripture, and two reasons the resurrection of Christ is necessary for you today. So let's look first here at the first reason the resurrection of Christ is necessary according to Scripture, and it's simply the resurrection of Christ is necessary to make the entire message of the Bible make sense. We could say it's necessary so that it completes the Bible, so that the center of the story of the Bible, God redeeming us in Christ, that it would all make sense. And you might be here this morning, you might be, have been invited by a family member or a friend, and you would be hard-pressed if somebody kind of asked you, what's the message of the Bible all about? You might think it's a book about rules. You might think it's just an old dusty book that was once relevant for bygone eras, 
and now it's long since really ceased to matter, at least in your life. But in reality, the Bible is relevant because it always speaks about the most important topics, life and death. And no matter what age you live in, no matter what time, no matter what country, those are immensely relevant. Here's what Adrian Warnock, he wrote this in his book on the resurrection. He said, the Bible is, in many ways, a book about death. Sounds encouraging, doesn't it? The Bible constantly reminds us of the human predicament and the inevitability of our mortality. You know, if you've ever driven out west, you've gone through hours and hours of boring cornfields, soybean fields, no offense to those from Iowa, until you see kind of getting to the, to the rock, you get to the Mocky Mountains, and they just kind of rise 14,000 feet seemingly out of nowhere, out of the flat ground of Colorado. As we go through life, we increasingly live through the, in the shadow of this great mountain of death. And when we're young, we really can't, we don't even see the mountains off in the distance. We think we're going to live forever. It's just the open road of life out in front of us. But as we get older or as we face death at young ages, that mountain begins to loom large. And so we need to know truth that's going to enable us to know what happens when we encounter death ourselves. What happens when we kind of come face to face with this human predicament that we're all living in the shadow of death and we need to know how can we have life. That's what the message of the Bible is all about. That's why God has given to us his word so that we might know life and have that life in his son. So God reveals to us throughout all of scripture a people who are in darkness because of sin unable to free ourselves, unable to have light brought to our lives, that we need new life. And so the message of the cross that we saw on, Saturday, on Friday night and the message of the resurrection that we're celebrating this morning, it's necessary for the Bible to make sense. You take out the cross, you take out the resurrection, and Scripture isn't complete. So think about kind of just big picture of what the Bible's talking about. In the Old Testament, God made for himself a people out of Abraham. He led them out of the, through the wilderness, through Moses. He gave them identity and he gave them victory through King David. He sustained them by speaking to them through the prophets, when they, even when they were disobedient and drifting from him. And he did all of this. He did all of this so that he might send his son, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, Jesus, in order that he might conquer death that all who believe in him might have eternal life. And so think about Acts chapter 2, verse 24, that we saw a few weeks ago. As we've been going through the book of Acts, I've been excited we've been going through the book of Acts. One reason is because the book of Acts, I knew Easter was going to fall in the middle, and the book of Acts is soaked, it's drenched with truth about the resurrection. Actually, I don't know, I mean, I should have done a study of kind of per book of the New Testament, what speaks most about the resurrection, I'm pretty sure it would be the book of Acts, actually. And here's what Acts 2.24 says, speaking of the death of Jesus. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So God sent his son in order that he might bear the curse of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. 
He alone is the one who can conquer. You know, I had John read uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, in that great passage about the resurrection, because it says there in verse 9, for as yet, so we're speaking of, they kind of saw, she, Mary was there and she saw that there was a risen Christ, or he wasn't in the tomb, it was empty, and it says this, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. That again, it's necessary that he rise from the dead. And so central to the message of scripture is the necessity that we have to be brought through Christ from death to life. And central to the message of life for us is that Jesus must rise from the dead. So where do we see that in the Old Testament? You know, Psalm 16.10 there is a great example. There's also Hosea. We could even see Isaiah 53 as we saw Friday night. But Psalm 16.10, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. In the New Testament, that's applied to Christ. And it's no accident, I think, that verse 11 follows right after Psalm 16.10. You may, so in the, the fact that he rises from the dead, it's impossible for your Holy One to see corruption. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God sent his son who could not be held down by death. God sent his son who was unable to see corruption in order that we who were in fear to the slavery of death might be led out of it through his life. We could say Jesus leads us through the curtain of death because he's risen from the dead. And so the resurrection is necessary so that all of Scripture makes sense. Life taken away by the fall into sin, life restored through the Son at the cross and His resurrection, and life eternal at His return. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of Scripture. And the resurrection makes it all make sense. Well, the second reason that the resurrection of Christ is necessary according to Scripture that I want us to focus on here this morning is the resurrection is, of Christ is necessary in order to display the power of God. It's necessary in order to display the power of God. You know, one of the pastors, Eric Roseberry, that I travel with, uh, with Acts 29, to do a number of uh, assessments for new church planters, uh, he used to be a professional wrestler and the kind of fake professional wrestler, kind of <laughs> professional wrestling, um, which isn't really professional wrestling. It should just be called fake wrestling. But he, he lifts a lot of weights. And whenever we're together, he's always finding the gym and he's going down there. And, but he's, he is, he's six, I think seven or so. He's tall and he's big. But he's a kind guy and he's gentle and he doesn't show off. And so I have no idea how strong he is until we go down to the gym together. And I'm just not, obviously, not one of those guys that spends a lot of time in the gym. And, and he's there, and he's got 100-pound dumbbells, one in each arm, curling. I'm, I couldn't pick up one. I could barely pick up one, let alone curl it. And, and so here he is, and he's strong, but you can't realize just how strong he is, just what power is behind there. You know, when we think about the power of God, 
we probably, I'm guessing, think in terms of, we, we think about powerful thunderstorms or earthquakes or volcanoes, kind of what we see in the elements of nature that render us completely helpless before him. But as we read the book of Acts, the power of God is consistently talked about in one way. He's so powerful, he's able to raise the dead to life. Ten times throughout the book of Acts, uh, um, the apostles say it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. So I want to just, I'm going to read four of these kind of right in sequence here. Acts chapter 3, verse 15. This is kind of in contrast with the religious leaders. He says, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Acts 4.10, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. Acts 5.30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on our tree. Acts 10.40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Now, why is there such an emphasis? The question I was asking myself this week is why is there such an emphasis on God the Father raising God the Son from the dead? Because, of course, it shows his power, and it shows that if death wasn't able to hold Jesus, but we also know that Jesus, as the second member of the Godhead, as the Trinity, he, has, he is able to rise from the dead on his own accord as well. And so why the emphasis in Scripture of the Father? Now, because over and over again, here's, here's the kind of contrast we see. Jesus is seen as the one who's been rejected by the religious leaders. They rejected him so completely, so thoroughly, that they hung him on a tree like a cursed man. They rejected him so thoroughly, these religious leaders who should have known better, they should have known the scripture. They should have known what the Messiah and the Christ would be like, and yet they crucified him to the point where they hung him just like one who would commit blasphemy. The one who would commit blasphemy would be hung up on a tree in order for the whole of the community of Israel to shame them for what they had done, committing treason, essentially, against God, to bring shame on that criminal. But Jesus, although he was killed like a criminal, although he was publicly ridiculed and rejected, the the reason why I think one reason is that it says that God raised him from the dead is it demonstrates that God the Father accepted his sacrifice. You know, the the constant emphasis, you killed him, but God raised him. You killed him, but God raised him. You killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. What it should be doing in our minds is it should be demonstrating that the one who has been rejected by others has been emphatically accepted by the Father. So much so that he brings him up from the grave. He seats him at his right hand. He's exalted so that all of his enemies might bow before him, that every knee and tongue might bow and every tongue might confess. And so one reason why I think it's emphasized that the father raises the son is because it shows he accepts his sacrifice. But also I think that God raising the son from the dead shows that he's fulfilling the promises that he began with David. That there would be a descendant, a king, who would always be on the throne of David. And in Acts chapter 13, 
Paul's preaching about the resurrection, and he connects in, in the people's mind as he's preaching in the synagogue how David was raised up by God as king, but there would be one who would come after him in his line that would be raised up by God, that would be raised from the dead, and who would always be king, who would always sit on the throne. And so I think another reason it's emphasized is to show God keeps his promises, and specifically, God keeps the promise that he will have his king, his son, reigning for all eternity. And, and this is good news. It's good news for us. There's nobody who can knock Jesus off the throne. There will be no re-elections of a greater power. There, there will be no curse of death for those who believe in him. And since God raised him from the dead, we believe He'll raise us, all who trust in him as well. Which really leads us to the kind of the second half of what I want us to see here this morning. Two reasons why the resurrection is necessary for you and for me today. Two reasons why the resurrection is necessary for us today. And first of those reasons I want us to focus on here is the resurrection of Christ is necessary to the message you proclaim to others. 1 Corinthians 15, here's what Paul reminds the people of Corinth. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So this is the main thing you need to see, he's saying. This is of first importance. Christ died for our sins in according to the scriptures. So it was necessary, again, according to the scriptures, that the Christ would die. Verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures. So he was raised in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appears to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. You know, throughout the book of Acts, the disciples emphasize themselves as witnesses of the resurrection so that the people know there's actual, verifiable evidence and witnesses to their resurrection. And so, so again, just like we see God raising over and over and over again in the book of Acts, we also see the apostles talking about themselves as visible witnesses to the risen Christ. So, so listen to a few of these. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them over, during 40 days. Acts 2.32, this is Peter's speech at Pentecost. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Acts 4.33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so the apostles are saying, he was raised from the dead, and we're going to live our life according to that, and that is the message we're proclaiming. You know, Charles Colson was in the Nixon administration during the Watergate scandal, and as he was in the scandal, he went as a result to jail as a result of the role in the cover-up, and he became a Christian in prison, and he began pr uh, prison fellowship, I think it was called. And, and listen to what he says about the resurrection. I love this. I, I read this on Stan Guthrie's, uh, in an article he wrote on Breakpoint this week. He said this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to be true for me. How? 
because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I love that, because here he is at the seat of power in Washington, and they had everything to gain by just keeping this lie, and yet they couldn't keep it. And yet, as he points out, the apostles witnesses to the resurrection, those who spent time with Jesus and then saw him alive, as we saw, as appearing to them over 40 days with many proofs, eating with them. They, they knew he is alive. You know, over and over again, the disciples testify as witnesses to the resurrection. And so as we, today, we have two main ways we can testify to the resurrection. We can testify to the resurrection to others through Scripture. And one of the reasons God has given us His reliable Word is so that we might say, here's what God's Word says about how we might know Him, about how we might know He's conquered death, and how we might know how we have life through His conquering of death through Jesus. And so we point people to the risen Christ through Scripture. And so we can publicly proclaim Christ as crucified and raised None of us having seen him visibly or physically, but we can point people to the word and by the power of the spirit, God can open eyes. But the other way we can testify to the power of the spirit, to the the power of God is by the power of God in our changed lives, that God might change us as we believe in him. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, likely at some point after you trusted Jesus, you started to know something pretty immediately was different. Maybe it was just a, the, the burdens that you carried had kind of fallen off, like what we read in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe it was you started to say, see the new life through new desires that you had. You had a desire to praise Him. You had a desire to read and know more about God through His Word that you had never had before. You had a desire to love others, even people who had wronged you became aware of your sin, and you, you sought to turn away from it. And all of those things that happen in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are testifying to the power of a risen Christ through raising us from the dead and changing us, that we've been transformed. And in that way, the, powerful, the power of a changed life is a powerful testimony to the living Christ. You know, just ask the Apostle Paul, as we're going to encounter as we continue to go through the book of Acts, here's one who was murdering Christians, who was going all out to chase them down. And on the road to Damascus, he encounters the living Christ. And he is immediately changed, so much so that people don't even believe, people are scared of him when he starts to come into the synagogues. Isn't this the guy that was just killing Christians? What are we, how is, he's met the risen Jesus. He's transformed his life. He's changed him. Now, the question you might have this morning is, could God change me? You know, I don't know every person here in this room. I don't know every person's background. I don't know all of the things that you carry, the burdens that are weighing you down. 
but I do know that God does. And I know that he, since he's able to conquer death through his son raising from the dead, he can conquer death in your life. He can rise, raise you to newness of life if you trust in him. You can have new life today. He can change you. And you can know the power of the resurrected Christ through a changed desire and a new heart. Which really leads us to the second way that the resurrection of Christ is necessary for us. The resurrection of Christ is necessary for us so that we can have lasting hope. So that we can have lasting hope. You know, uh, Pastor John recommended a book to me called Ghost Soldiers. That I've been reading uh, these last couple of weeks. And it's all about the allied soldiers who were imprisoned by the Japanese during World War II in the Philippines after the, the, uh, the infamous Bataan Death March. And, and the scenes that are in this book that are described of this camp, this prison camp, are, are, are so similar to Auschwitz in Germany. The suffering, the disease, the inhumane treatment, humans acting in evil ways against other humans that utterly broke the spirit of nearly every person in that prison. And, and if there would have been some that had pridefully thought they were strong enough in themselves to kind of withstand whatever the world and life might bring to them, that prison camp proved them wrong. The human spirit made in the image of God is strong, but it's able to be broken. Sadly, we see this time and time again throughout history. And if our faith is resting in ourselves, we just have to be honest with ourselves. We have to understand we will not make it through the storms of life. It might not be in these dramatic instances that we see throughout history, but those who are tempted to trust in themselves and their own strength, that strength will have its limits. You will come up against that limit, sadly. You know, a million examples over this last year of this pandemic has tested us. It's tested if we're putting our strength in ourselves and we ask ourselves, am I trusting, do I have faith in a living Savior regardless of what happens in this world? Or am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in just some man-made religion to save me? Every person, it's God's grace that he brings us to the end of ourselves. Every person will eventually be shown we don't have strength enough. None of us will be able to resurrect ourselves out of the graves the moment we die. None of us will be able to kind of control our final moments and know the end is coming and so to make amends. You know, one of the saddest things I think that I've experienced as a pastor is sitting with people at the very end of their life. And as I sit with them at the very end of their life and I know that they have not trusted Jesus because they've repeatedly rejected him and told me so. And but yet kind of still they hold out a little bit of hope. Well, maybe this is true and I'll, I'll kind of think about it on that day. I can tell you when that day comes... There is all sorts of things happening. And even though it might be so clear that the end is near to everyone, so many people, at least people I've been with, sit there and they're in the face of death and they don't realize it's coming and it's coming immediately and imminently. And so maybe today you, can become, you should become aware. Your life will end one day. It could be today. It could be 50 years down the road. But when that day comes... Will you have a Savior you're trusting in who will bring you into life? Or will you be trusting in yourself? Don't follow your own path 
because that path will continue to lead you away from Christ. But maybe you're here this morning and you're aware of your need. You know you can't save yourself. Maybe you're here, and whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, maybe you feel broken. Maybe it's by things that have been done to you or things that you've done to others, things that you feel such great shame over. Some of the shame right and maybe some of the shame wrong. Maybe the events of this last year has just overwhelmed you and maybe you feel so overwhelmed you're tempted to either just end it all or live a life kind of resigned to, to a flavorless, lifeless life. Look, the resurrection is what you need to begin to feel whole because the resurrection of Jesus tells us there is future hope. There is great joy in Jesus now and for forevermore. That even though you feel as though you might be going through one of the darkest nights of the soul, the resurrection tells you that Jesus has made a way through the darkness. He will bring you home. As Christians, we need to remember this, and we're so tempted to forget. As non-Christians, if you're not trusting in Jesus, you need to know there is a way out of the darkness you feel, and it's through Jesus. The necessity of the resurrection means that you and I need to live our lives drawing hope from that well, the well of the resurrection. Listen to how the New Living Translation translates 1 Corinthians 15, uh, starting in verse 50. I, I love this translation because I think it just hits on the tone right. This is Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 where we said this is of first importance. He says this at the end, What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. Let me just tell you a secret. It's wonderful. We will not all die, but we'll be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. And so what we celebrate on Easter Sunday morning, when we recognize that the tomb is empty, we're celebrating really the last day. And we're saying by faith that I know when we get to that last day, I'm going to be transformed. That he will give to me a new resurrection body just as he took on a new resurrection body. That just as that last day comes and I breathe my last and maybe my body has been absolutely ravaged by cancer or disease or coronavirus, whatever it might be, that I will rise in newness of life and I will be transformed never to sin again and always to have hope because we have a risen Savior. And so it was necessary that the Christ might suffer, bearing our penalty, and it was necessary that he might rise from the dead. Let's worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that because of the resurrection, what we needed most has been avail made available by grace. It's not something we can buy. We can't buy life. We can't buy immortality. We can't earn it by our works 
by the good things we do for people, by being better than another person, all of the ways that we might be tempted to think we might be able to attain everlasting life or be accepted by the God of the universe, they are all worthless. We thank you that there is only one worthwhile way that we might live, and that is through the life, the resurrected life of Christ. And so may we worship him today. May we delight in him that he is risen. He is risen indeed. We pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship in song.